Parshas Veschanan. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu informed Moshe of the sad news that behold your days are approaching to die, we find that Moshe was devastated. He was very reluctant to leave this world. It says there, I entreated Hashem at that time. He begged Hashem to be given more time, to live more years and to be able to enter into Eretz Yisrael with the nation. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't happy with the prospect of leaving this world. He just didn't want to die. Now some people are surprised by that. They think that when a righteous man hears the bad news, so he takes it philosophically, stoically. After all, he has all kinds of reasons to be calm. Everything is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is planned by him for kindliness. And so if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking him from this world, it certainly is for his good. And the next world is a very good world. The righteous man believes implicitly that he's moving from the world of doing, of doing into the world of reward and pleasure. And yet all these arguments didn't work with Moshe Rabbeinu. He put up the biggest protest ever made by a man standing on the threshold of death. He begged and he cajoled. It was days and days of prayer. It was a fierce and desperate tefillah, an intense prayer that is unequaled in our history. Moshe Rabbeinu Davin so hard that the world was shaking. What that means, I can't explain. But we understand that it was a special tefillah. Now we have to understand why that would be. The arguments of the righteous philosopher are good arguments after all. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't going to live forever anyhow. He was already 120 years old and he accomplished more than anyone else. He knew that Hashem's decision was just and that he had a good portion waiting for him in Olam Haba. He wasn't afraid of the next world. On the contrary, he looked forward to it. So what was this big fight that he was putting up? And the answer is this. For 40 years, the Am Yisrael were all clustered around Moshe Rabbeinu and he had the opportunity to shape the new nation according to the will of Hashem. For 40 years, Moshe Rabbeinu inculcated the people with all of the great ideals that he had heard from Hashem at Har Sinai and he reveled in that opportunity. He utilized it and squeezed out whatever greatness he could from the people. Those 40 years in the wilderness were his great opportunity to achieve. He was able to accomplish with the Am Yisrael more than anybody ever had before. And now he stood with the nation at the edge of Eretz Yisrael, on the brink of entering into the next stage of opportunity. He was standing before an opportunity that would never be repeated. He had the whole Am Yisrael in his palm. He had them in the very best place where they could be. And Moshe Rabbeinu knew he could take them into the new land and settle them according to the righteous plan of the Torah. Up until now, they were in no man's land, in the wilderness. And now they were going to become agriculturalists, a settled people in their own land. And Moshe Rabbeinu would have taken them and he would have caused them to remain perfect forever. You know, our Chachamim tell us that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have crossed the Jordan River, if he would have been the one to lead the Am Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, then we would never have gone into Gullus. No Gullus, no Chorben Beis HaMikdash, no Tisha B'Av. 
What that means is that Moshe would have established the nation on such a strong footing and he would have made such a powerful and enduring settlement of our affairs that we would never have deteriorated. And that's why he was reluctant to yield and he begged and begged for days on end. He wrapped himself with sackcloth and he rolled in the dirt and he davened 515 different tefillahs. The next world, the glories of the afterlife. It's great, said Moshe Rabbeinu to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But let it wait. Right now, I have an opportunity that I'll never get again. The maximum opportunity is when a man becomes a king. Anyone who is a king over the Jewish nation has a tremendous career ahead of him. In the great days of the Jewish kings, the king wielded enormous, enormous power and was able to guide the nation as he pleased. Moshe Rabbeinu had the opportunity to form character of our, to form the character of our nation on the grandest possible scale. Never again did anyone have such complete control over our nation. And now you understand why he begged to be a king. Because to mold Hashem's people into Oyev de Hashem, there's no greater opportunity for perfection than that. Now I didn't come here tonight to dash your hopes, but I must tell you that most of us here will probably never become kings or even presidents. And yet all of us have the opportunity to forge lasting impressions that will create eternal perfection. That lesson of the tefillahs of Moshe Rabbeinu applies to us as well. We too, who are never going to mold nations and forge empires, can still achieve a me'ain of that perfection that Moshe Rabbeinu achieved and begged for many days to continue to, continue to achieve. Where? Where can we achieve such perfection? The answer is that in your home, you are the king. In one place, you are the monarch, just like Moshe Rabbeinu was. You have all the power. Ladies, don't take umbrage at these words, because you're the queen of that great empire we call a home. Your home, that's your empire. Pay attention now to what I'm telling you. The following is very important. The way you perform on that small scale in your little home in Flatbush will be considered as if you succeeded Mehodu Kush over a vast empire of many provinces. And the failure in the little place between the four walls of your home will be considered as if you were an emperor and you were a disaster to your people. A bad emperor is a catastrophe. A reckless king can ruin a nation. But you don't have the opportunity to ruin an empire. All you have is four walls. But that little space, that's your empire. And how you succeed there, that's the measure of your success in life. I'll explain that. In Mesech Gitin it says, Hamatil Eima Yeteira Betoch Beito. A person who instills excessive fear in his home, that means that his wife and his family are afraid of him. It's as if he killed many ten, ten thousands of Jews. Just because he's a tyrant in his house, it's like he killed tens of thousands of Jews. In your little home, if you're Zoyche, it's crowded with ten people there, maybe more. But it's not much yet. It's surely not an empire. And yet, in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
What goes on in that home is so important. It's as if you have thousands and thousands of subjects. Hashem judges a mother and father as if they were a king and queen with tremendous power. And if you are successful in your little home or your big home, whatever it is, it's as if you were successful in running a big empire. It's as if you brought a whole nation into Eretz Yisrael and established them Latova. Now, I'm not saying that's the sole criteria. There are other areas besides the home. For a man, there are surely opportunities outside the home. Although the home is extremely important, he has some other areas to where he must make progress. But for both of them, the true, mether, the true measure of your success is in the home. What goes into your tent in between the four walls of your home, that's where your greatness will be achieved. That's your opportunity to mold a people the same way Moshe Rabbeinu molded the Am Yisrael. The home is what counts. And that explains something in our Parsha that seems quite queer at first. Everyone knows that at the great event of Matan Torah at Har Sinai, the Am Yisrael became elevated to the greatest status that they ever have ever experienced. And Hashem wanted that moment, that greatness to remain forever. That's what he told Moshe Rabbeinu. Would it only be that this heart of theirs to fear me and to keep all my commandments should continue all their days? Devarim. And so, of course, the holy nation wanted to remain there at the foot of Har Sinai. They were desirous, they were desirous of tarrying at Har Sinai where they had seen the Shekhinah and been elevated to a status that had never been achieved by anyone. And so what happens? What's the first thing they hear from HaKadosh Baruch Hu after this great experience, this great elevation of their minds? Go and return to your tents. Shuvu lachem la'aholem. Devarim. Tents? Who wants tents? We want to stay here at the foot of our Sinai, close to you, Hashem. We should go back to the mundane grind of life after such an experience. It's ridiculous, they thought. And if we're going to go anywhere, it'll be to the base medrash. We'll take the Torah you just gave us and we'll get busy. But Hashem had other plans for his nation. Go back to your tents, he said, because it's in your home, in your little empire, where I want you to actualize my wish. That this heart of theirs to fear me and to keep all my commandments should continue all of their days. It's in a home that is guided by the great experience at Sinai, where the perfection of the Am Yisrael occurs, when a family takes the Torah ideals gained on our Sinai to fear me and keep my commandments and builds a Torah home. That's the success of life. And that's why as soon as the Muhammad Har Sinai came to, to a close, Hashem said, Shuvu lachem return to your tents. And that's what they did. They returned to their tents and transformed them into sanctuaries. They lived so nobly, so generously, and with such idealism in those little tents because each family understood that their success in this world was to make the best of their own little empire. They understood that the home is of utmost importance. And that's how the great people always lived. Did I tell you once the story of Rav Chana Bar Chanilai? He was a Talmud Chacham 
who lived in the days of Rav Huna. He was a well-to-do man who made his home into an empire of chesed. He had 60 hired bakers in his home making bread for the poor. All day long they stood at stoves in the house and baked bread for poor people. And at night, when these 60 bakers went home, he had 60 other bakers come in for the nighttime shift. That's the kind of house it was. The Gemara in Bracha says that all day long he sat in his home and he learned. And while he sat in his house learning Torah among the bakers, he kept his hand in his purse so that when someone came in and needed help, he wouldn't have to go looking for his purse. He didn't want to keep him waiting, embarrassed. So his hand was already there and he gave it to him immediately. He just took his hand out and gave. And at night, he would leave bags of grain outside the house for people who were too ashamed to come to beg. The only question is, where did he sleep? There couldn't have been a lot of space. Sixty bakers take up a lot of room after all. And they didn't bake without implements. There were stoves there too. It can't be too easy to sleep in a bakery. I still remember when I was a young boy. I was once in a big bakery. On all sides, machines were whirring. Wheels were turning, ovens were baking. And in Rav Chana's house, it was all packed in, together with him and his family. The family carried out their lives between the bakery implements. He was learning and giving tzedakah to Aniyim. And he and his wife brought up children in this busy empire. And that's how they lived. In the midst of such a hubbub, they made their home great. So you see that his home wasn't just walls and a roof. It became something remarkable, something tremendous. And Rav Chana and his wife planned it that way. You understand right away that Rav Chana didn't build that home himself. He needed his wife's cooperation. And all the B'nai, ba- the, the B'nai Bayis, his children too. No question about it. And together they built a base Hamigdash. With such idealism, they were able to erect a beautiful edifice. It was an idealism that is almost unequaled. And they were happy to live that way. Because it was their ideal to build a home around HaKadosh Baruch Hu, A house whose central theme, the pivot upon which everything revolved, was the creator of the world. And he and his wife were happy. His family was happy too. Because they considered it their function to build a house where Har Sinai came to life. Now to us, that seems to be a most uncomfortable kind of house. It's one thing to fill the house with baking implements and ovens and 60 bakers, but to fill the house with a Kaddish Baruch Hu is something else altogether. Imagine you have to live in a base at Knesset, not an empty shul, a shul that's full of mispalim. Everyone is praying and learning, and they're taking the Sefer Torah in and out. And you're living your life in such an atmosphere. Imagine that. But that's nothing compared to the Kedusha of a house where you're living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Kedusha is so dense that it constantly impinges on your awareness. In everything you do, you feel like you're standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now that doesn't mean that everything in the house must be done with awareness of Hashem or else you don't do it. We are human beings and we try our best. But at least we should always try to add such an attitude into our home life as much as we can. We are marrying. We are moving into a home. We are raising children. All in order. La'avoid es Hashem.
And whatever we do in our home, even Gashmias, even the joy, the physical fun in the home is intended to enhance the status of that home as a place of the service of Hashem. And as the years pass by, the ideal grows upon you and it becomes a stronger and stronger part of your personality until finally, before you realize it, it occupies a very big part of your home. And your home is transformed from a house into the Torah home that Hashem desires from you. Now, when we talk about making our own tents, our own homes into Torah homes, it's good to speak about some details to suggest some of the ideals that are required to accomplish this career. In order that it shouldn't remain just empty words, we have to put in some descriptions of what is considered the ideals of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Of, co- of course, first and foremost, a Torah home is a place of mitzvahs. We should teach our children, and that means we must teach ourselves first. That it's in the home where you can do mitzvahs more easily. It's not, it's not merely that sometimes there are opportunities for mitzvahs. No, mitzvahs are always readily available in the house. There are thousands of mitzvahs that can be gained in a house that is being constructed of the foundation of Mahmad, on, the, on the foundation of Mahmad Har Sinai. You have to make your home a place where everyone loves mitzvahs. In this home, when we pass a mezuzah, we don't merely look at the mezuzah. We love it. It's not enough to kiss the mezuzah. You have to love a mezuzah. Tell your family, don't we love mezuzahs in our house? We're mechaev et mitzvahs. We love them. We're mechabev et mitzvahs. We love them. We love tzitzis. We love baking for Shabbos. We love going to shul. You can start enumerating the mitzvahs to yourself. So many mitzvahs. All the mitzvahs of Shabbos. All the mitzvahs of Brachas. Of Natilas Yadayim. Countless mitzvahs are accomplished in the house. It's a place where you, where you are able to say, Asher Kiddishanu B'mitzvotavitzivanu. All the time. Do you think when you're doing that? You have to train yourself and your family to think. Right now, we're doing the mitzvah of washing the hands. Hashem commanded us to obey the Chachamim. You're making the house Kaddish by doing that. That element should be introduced in the building of a Jewish home as much as possible. Our home is a Makam Kaddish. You tell your family. We must accomplish. We must accustom ourselves to this thought. A Jewish house is a holy house. The same Shekhinah that came down on Har Sinai is in every Jewish home. It's not a mushal. Where else would HaKadosh Baruch Hu come if not in the place where constantly His word is obeyed? Milchig milch, milch dishes, fleshig dishes, parv dishes, everything is done. Kahalacha, Shabbos, Kashrus, everything. It's Shabbos. Don't touch the electric lights. Don't touch the switch. All day Shabbos, muksa is avoided. Everybody is observing hundreds and hundreds of details. Davening, mitzvahs, all the time the Torah is being practiced in a Jewish home. A child wants to eat something, so he asks, Am I still fleshic? Can I get ice cream yet? No, not yet. The child watches the clock. A little boy is watching the clock. There's nothing like that in the world. You won't find such holy children anywhere else. That's what we do in the home. We create Kedusha. You have to teach a child not to fall in love with money. He should learn to give away money 
So you'll say, it's America. In America, we love money. It's a money-making country. You're going to teach your child to give away money? Yes. America or no America, your home is not America. In your home, you teach a child that if he gets money, some of it always goes to tzedakah. He should get into the habit of parting with some of his money for charity. You must talk about that in the home. And it's much more important than you think. It's not just tzedakah. You know what you're doing when you train your family to give away part of their money for tzedakah? You're training them to believe in oilam haba. In the house, you have to talk about these things. You have to find ways and means of telling everyone. You're not giving away your money. You're putting it away where it's safe. In our family, we deposit money in the best bank, where they pay the biggest interest. That's the bank of the next world. That's the truth. Anybody who gives tzedakah is a believer in the next world. If you give a little bit, you believe a little bit. Your home becomes an oilam haba home. In addition, a Jewish home is a place of perfecting ben adam lechaveiro. Utilize your brothers and your sisters. If you speak to them kindly, what an important chesed it is. Hashem wants the people to be encouraged. Sometimes brothers and sisters hurt each other's feelings. They ridicule each other. It's a terrible misuse of opportunity. Speak words of encouragement. You won't have them forever. Someday you'll scatter and each one will look back to the olden days when he had his brothers and sisters together and there were so many opportunities. Everybody needs encouragement and if you'll give them some words of encouragement every now and then, you should know that you gain a tremendous mitzvah. The encouraging of our fellow men is a neglected mitzvah and your family members, your parents and your brothers and sisters are the best opportunity. They're always available in the house. Therefore, if we understand this great opportunity of encouraging each other, of saying kindly words and giving chizik, the opportunities are endless. Of course, the mitzvah of limonatoida is very important in the house. Of course, you should learn Torah any place, but when you open a sefer at home, you are making your house kadosh. The Chavetz Chaim considered this subject so important that he wrote a sefer on it called Toiris Habayis. It means the Torah that you study in the home. Now at night, when boys come back from the yeshiva, don't accept the excuse that they learned all day long. Sit down for a few minutes. Accustom the boys in the house to, to that. Train them to learn Torah at night. They'll open up the Gemara, whatever it is. The younger children can open the Chumash and let them say aloud. And surely the father of the home should show an example. When you open a safer for a little while in the house, you're doing a great benefit to that home. The house becomes niskadish by the words of the Torah that you learn there. Of course, you have to think these thoughts if you want them to make if you want to make an impression on your mind. And you have to talk about them as well. You have to train your children to know, to know that our house is becoming elevated by means of mitzvahs. Tell them that the more they're able to behave and make each other happy, the more they can open a sefer, the more they can serve Hashem in the house, the more they're making the house holy. It's a different kind of house when it's utilized for the purpose of serving Hashem. Don't think it's a small thing that you're doing for that house. It becomes elevated. Every house where Jewish children are brought up 
and they become Oivde Hashem. That house is Kodesh Kodashim. Not merely it has a certain amount of Kedusha. It's more Kodesh than many other things. Just like a tefillin bag is Kodesh. When you put tefillin inside of it, the Jewish house is even more Kodesh because you have Jews inside of it. They grew up there. They became Oivde Hashem in that house. This has to be emphasized to children. Children, when you come into the house, walk in with Derech Eretz. No, this is a house where the Shekhinah is here. It's not a bus stop. It's not Lahavdil like a library, Chas V'Sholom. A Jewish house is a place where HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds Nachas Ruach, where he sees his Torah is being obeyed implicitly. Everybody is loyal, Ne'emanim, in every detail. And so the house is Kaddosh. It's something we have to say to ourselves and to our children. You should repeat it constantly. You can tell them, every time you do something good in this house, you are making the house even more Kaddosh. Every time you learn Torah in the house, every time you daven, every time you say Birkas Amazon, any bracha you make in the house, the house is becoming more and more Kaddosh. Tell them that. They won't listen. They'll say, yes, yes. But it's going into their little heads. Now, that brings up one more point that we'll discuss now. You know that the Jewish table is very holy. What makes it holy? A lot of things. You put kosher food on the table. You put a sitter on the table. You make brachas at the table. The Jewish nation sits around the table and they thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In the old days, when the father was saying Birkas HaMazun, he took out a big sitter in honor of the occasion. He kept an especially big sitter, like a Rabbi Yankel Emden sitter, or some other big sitter. He knew it by memory, of course, but benching Birkas HaMazun was a ceremony. He washed his hands and took out his big sitter, and he intoned the words, and you could feel that this was a table where a Kaddish Baruch was being served. No wonder that we consider it a holy table. Of course, there are other ways a man can sanctify his table. If in addition to saying blessings around the table, he also puts his checkbook on his table and he writes out checks for yeshivas. Checks are very kadosh. He's sanctifying that table, no question. There was a Jewish cobbler, an old Jewish shoemaker, who when he was dying, he gave orders that they should break up the table where he used to work. He used to fix shoes by the table and that they should make his coffin out of those boards. He wanted that table where where all his life he worked honestly to go with him into the next world. Even his little work table was holy and therefore a Jewish table is treated like a Mizbeach. That's how it used to be. I know a man who had an old Jewish mother from Europe, a woman from the old Mir, a small town. Whenever any of her boys wanted to sit on the table, the mother drove them off. You can't sit on a Jewish table. It's holy. That's how he was brought up, he told me. A Jewish table, it's Kaddish. If a child is sitting on a table, he's driven off. He's profaning a holy thing. And that's how we should understand forever. If it's a table in the base Hamedrish, in the base Hamigdash, then it's holy. Now there's one opportunity that the Jewish table provides that is overlooked by many, and yet it's of utmost importance, and that's table talk. Whenever you're sitting at the table, even with your wife alone or your wife and children, you should know that here is an opportunity to be a propagandizer for the great truth of the Torah. 
Before you come to the table, take out one minute and think. What am I going to do at the table? How can I utilize this opportunity? So let's say one day you decide, I'm going to talk about Roshi Yeshivas. You sit down at the table with your children. Children, you know the Roshi Yeshiva, they are our leaders. The children are busy eating. They're hardly listening to you. Say it anyhow. They're our leaders. They're the heads of our nation. They're the ones who are the teachers of our people. Your home should be a home where children love the Roshi Yeshiva. And that means you're going to have to shape their minds. You have to speak about them whenever you can. These are our great men. They're holy people. They're devoted to the study of Torah. They're bringing up the youth of the nation in the ways of the Torah. And we should appreciate them. Your table should be a place where you're always praising the Gedolim and Roshi Yeshiva. Now Rabbeinu Yonah says in the Shari Tshuva, that when you take out time to praise righteous people, you should know that you're going to get below Yigia Ufoel Kapayim Zechus Gedoyla Ad Lashamayim. It's such a merit that it goes all the way up to the sky. It's a great merit to praise Sadiqim. Not only Roshi Yeshiva, praise all from Jews. Praise all the Jews that are from, all the houses that have big mezuzahs on them. Praise those houses. Praise them. Praise all the good things. Praise from institutions. Praise all the yeshiva katanas, all the base yankovs, all the base rochos, all the mesiftas, all the mesiftas. Sing the praises of the koilim. Praise the koilil families. To teach a child to love Talmidei Chachamim. Ah, how that is neglected. And you can't just say it. You have to speak of B'nai Toira with love in the home. Speak of all of them with love. Speak of the Satmarov with love. Not with tolerance, with love. You're not a Satmar, so just tolerate him. No, no, no. That's a poison. In a Torah home, you speak about the Satmarov with affection. You speak of the Lubavitcher Rebbe with affection. As much as you can, you look for opportunities for that. And the child catches on to the idea. He catches on to the idea that in a Jewish home, Talmidei Chachomim are admired. We love the Baba, the Baba Varov. We love Rav Yaakov Kamnetsky. We love Rav Moshe Feinstein. We love all the G'doylem, all the Roshi Yeshivas. We speak of them with love, with affection and admiration. We look up to the Rabbonim, to the Chachomim. A Jewish home means a home where everyone is a Moiker Rabbonan. Even if you're not wealthy, you're not a Gavir. So the Roshi Yeshiva are not visiting you. That doesn't mean your home can't be a home of Moikir Abonon. Moikir means that they are precious to you. And that should be the talk of the table. Another day when you come to the table, make a plan. Today I'm going to talk about the great subject of Yitzhiyaz Mizraim. And then speak about it briefly at the table. Another day it should be Matan Toida. Do what the Rambam says. He says... Make it greater in your child's mind than anything else. More than anything else that you speak about to your children, speak about Matan Torah. But speak about it with his palace, with excitement. Oh, what a day that was. A tremendous day that never happened in all of history. People heard the voice of Hashem. That great day you should never forget. The greatest day in history where we all stood around Har Sinai and we heard the voice of Hashem. Once in history, speak to your children about that.
Now all these things you should, you should be planned beforehand. Before you come to the table, plan your action. What you want to do. What you want to talk about today. When you go to the table, you have to have a plan. Today I'll speak about this and tomorrow that. Table talk is extremely important. So you have to have a plan. Each time, think beforehand. What subject will I propagandize about today at our table? The children never know that it's planned, that it's intentional. They think that you happen to mention it. But really you're doing it beforehand with a scheme, with a plan. Every time you go to the table, plan what you're going to speak about today. Whether it's a weekday supper, a weekday breakfast, any time you are sitting with your family together, certainly on Shabbos, the Shabbos table especially, what will you talk about? You shouldn't just chatter incidental talk. It shouldn't be words that come out by accident. No, pick beforehand and guide the conversation in that direction. You're going to see a tremendous benefit. You're shaping the minds of your family and yourself forever and ever. Of course, they'll say some ordinary talk too. They're human beings. At least, however you used it for a noble purpose too. Some great ideas, some great idea was introduced at the table this time. Next time, another great idea. There's so many important ideas, so many Torah ideals and attitudes that should be spoken about in a home. And the more you do it, the more you infuse the home with Kedusha. That's the type of house that Hashem intended when he told the Am Yisrael, Shuvu lachem la'oholechem. Go back to your tents with the lessons you gained at Har Sinai, with the excellence of your ma- of mind you acquired there, and build your home on those ideals. And when you do that, you're not only building a home, you're building a home that is eternal. Now, where do you find the license to say that we can build houses that are forever and ever? It's a poetic idea that we like to hear. But do the Chachamim say such a thing? So we'll go back to the home of Rav Chana Bar Chanilay, the remarkable home we spoke about earlier. The Gemara there tells a story of two sages who were walking together on the road and they passed by the ruins of an old Jewish home. And when they came upon this pile of rubble on the side of the road, one of the Chachamim bent over and sighed in sadness. Ah, this house is now in ruins. He was mourning for the Chorban that, of that wonderful house. So his friend said to him, why are you sighing? So he told him, do you know whose house that was? In that house lived Rav Chana Bar Chanilai. People lived there, people who had served Hashem in that home, and now it's nothing but ruins. Such a house, a place where they lived with Hashem always in their minds, now lays in ruins, said this Chacham. And I shouldn't sigh when I see this rubble? Imagine if you could find the house where the Chavetz Chaim was born, or a house where the Vilna Gaon was born, a house where Rabbi Akiva was born. That's a holy house. It's a house that deserves to be surrounded by a fence and protected forever and ever. Now listen carefully to what the other Chachamim told him in order to console him. Hashem will one day restore all the domiciles of the Am Yisroel. You hear that? Someday Hashem will rebuild the Jewish houses again. You have to understand that. Just like the Jewish body, when a person passes away, they put the body in the earth. So it looks like his body disappears after a while. No, it's forever and ever. And someday we will arise once more and we will again 
wear flesh upon our bones. So too the house someday will arise again. The Jewish houses will someday come back. A house that is Kaddish won't disappear. Kedusha lasts forever. The Torah that tells us that, that our tents are more enduring than the biggest buildings. The skyscrapers of the world are nothing at all. It's Hevel Varik. The time will come when they too will be brought down to the dust and nothing will remain of them. But your home will remain forever. It's not so easy to internalize that, but it's true. And we have to work on that because it's Das Toyra. It's difficult for people to live with this concept, but we have to get it into our heads that our homes are eternal. Even if you have to move someday, people move around, but your old dwelling will never disappear. And even if one day you come back to your old neighborhood and you'll see that all the homes have been raised to the ground, a bulldozer has come and destroyed all of them. And now there's a big condominium, condominium standing there. Or maybe your home is still standing, but now there are other people living there. There's a Chinese family living there now. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disappointed. What you created there was an eternal achievement. The house will come with you into the world to come. With all the details of your existence, no bulldozer can destroy that achievement. The ceiling, the floor, everything in your house, even the furniture, nothing goes lost. Because the spiritual picture of the house is formed and continues to exist forever. And that is going to be taken with you in the world to come. Because little by little, that house was transformed into an internal sanctuary. Long after everyone who lived in that home has already passed into the next world. And even the walls and the beams of that house have worn out and rotted away. That house is not dead. It will live forever. Those houses will someday be reconstituted because they live on and on in the world to come. And therefore, an honest parent should stop and ask himself, what kind of home do we have? Am I accomplishing in my home? What Moshe Rabbeinu begged for many, many days to have the opportunity to accomplish? The most rewarding life for a man and a woman is to make use of that opportunity that Moshe begged for and put the best they have into that house. The walls of their house should witness only kindliness, only, only politeness, good character, kindly words. Avoid the Hashem, joyous Shabbosim, Zmirus on Shabbos, Divrei Torah, helping each other, performing acts that Hashem commands us to do. All day long, the Bnei Bayes are putting idealism into the walls of their home. Of course, theory is always e- easier than practice. But we have to strive for the ideal, for the building of a home that Hashem intended when he told the Am Yisrael, return to your tents. The creation of a home founded on the principles of Ma'amad Har Sinai is a creation that is eternal. And any Jewish home that is managed by a king and a queen who understand their opportunity to mold an eternal home is going to be a successful home. And the children too, as much as possible, should follow these principles. And when all participate in the task of upholding the Torah principles that go into creating a successful Jewish home, these people should know that not only are they going to be rewarded in the world to come, but they have created an eternal creation, a home that will live forever. Have a wonderful Shabbos.